Hey everyone, you're tuned into InfoQuench with Jeff and Amy. Join us as we talk about anything and everything. All the stuff that makes life interesting. So let's get to it. Hey everybody and welcome to InfoQuench. I'm your host Jeff. I'm Amy. And today's podcast, we're going to be talking about Man's Search for Meaning. Yes, which is the title of a book I recently read and it struck such a chord in me. Where'd you I... get that book now? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I bought it for you. Yeah, let's get a, I'll, I'll give a little bit of background about this. Okay. Um, so I have been reading a lot of, if you looked on our bookshelves, I think you'd see a bit of a theme in terms of the types of books I've been searching out. Uh, the Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. Um, right. I've read The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. I've read The Four Agreements recently. Um, Twelve Rules of Life, uh, An Antidote to Chaos by uh, the very controversial uh, Jordan Peterson, who's a, yes. a Canadian psychologist. And I think they they kind of speak to a bit of a theme that I've been, I guess, searching out a little bit more about, you know, what the meaning of life is and... I hate to use the word existential crisis, but I think maybe just... Existential questions, maybe. Perhaps, yes. Yeah. A quest for and some this, answers. I'm, I'm led to believe that this book really satiated a lot of your curiosity, correct? It is. It was. Quenched it did. your info All those that things. you were looking for? It did. It yeah. did. So it was fascinating because every once in a while in life, you'll sort of see these signs. And with this book... It was mentioned, I was listening on a random podcast, um, Tim Ferriss will often interview guests and ask about books that they most often gift to other people. Yes. And this book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, was mentioned. And then... Written uh, in the 40s. Right? Yes. yes. And, and I'll get a little bit into yeah. the history of the book. And that's my way of saying, Jeff, you're, you're breaking my tangent here. Go ahead. <laughs> You're All breaking, I'm my, is you're breaking my string. <laughs> no, um, and then I had realized when I heard that name Victor Frankel, I, it, it rang a bell for me because I often like to do up quotes as memes and share them on our various social media channels for InfoQuench. And I realized that I had shared a quote by Victor Frankel, not realizing, you know, in full who he was. Yes. And then I guess the third thing was I mentioned this book to Jeff. And then he said his coworker That's was right. reading this book. My buddy Pete now, was reading that same book. Which, you know, if this were a recent bestseller, you know, if it was on the New York Times bestseller list, I would say, okay, that's, you know, not really a big coincidence. Everybody's reading this book at the moment. But the thing about this book is it was written in 1946. Yes. So I thought, no, oh, those are, you know, three big signs that this is a book I need to invest some time in. Absolutely. So, you came across it at... Uh, Scheherazade Bookstore, local bookstore. That's fantastic for used books. Really good condition. Check them out. They're yeah. on Prince William Street. You know, it's uh, it's an it's an excellent condition. And what's interesting about this book is when I read books, part of who I am as a person is that I hate to uh, break the, even the spine of a book. Yeah, but this one you're living in, right? Right. Well, normally when I buy a book, if if I lent it to somebody, they'd say, did you even read this? Because that's just how I barely open it. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sort of looking in. I don't want to break the spine. I want to keep it pristine. I use bookmarks rather than dog-earing yeah, like the pages. With, I'm like that with books too sometimes. Certain books I am. 
but uh, mostly like I like to live in my books. I don't mind. I don't mind them. I don't really bend the pages or anything, but I I really do. Uh, books are meant to be tossed around. And, well, yeah. when I came home and you had surprised me with this book after work one day, mm-hmm. and after I had just mentioned it to you, you you know you went out and, and found it for me, and it was just such a nice, thoughtful gift. And I actually did think it was a brand new book, and yeah. it wasn't until till I think probably two thirds through the book, I started to notice that there were a few uh, highlighted. highlighted passages. Yeah. Somebody had actually gone through with a yellow highlighter and, and highlighted some, some of the passages. And I was like, yes, I was, I was really happy because all of a sudden I had permission to, you to know, to make my own notes and yeah. live in the book. Yeah. And I started to dog ear pages with, with uh, yeah. words that spoke to me. And was that a freeing experience for you to do that with a book rather than just not you know, it was. There's a there's a certain kid gloves, you know. A series of uh I guess the the thinking that goes behind mm-hmm. that. Now for you I suspect you just you just pick up a book and read it. But for me to make that decision, I had to decide this was a book that I was going to keep long term, yes. that I wanted to uh, you know, make the notes because I knew I would go back and reference it. So all of those things I had to make that decision before I actually took pen took a pen and actually wrote on the paper. And you did, you did write in this book. I, I see did. you wrote your name in it here. I did. Well, that's something that we've been doing it's, recently. I know yeah. you had given a book to uh, a friend uh, of ours, oh, yeah. Barb Clifford, and, yeah. uh, uh, and we suggested we should start a tradition where we, when you give somebody a book, yeah. we, write, we wrote our names in it and said when we read it, yeah. And um, and then encourage people to once they've finished reading it, pass it along to the next person. So, on the inside that was Kitchen cover, Kitchen Co- Confidential by Bourdain, by the way. Yes, excellent Anthony book, Bourdain. Kitchen Confidential by yeah. Anthony Bourdain. So I still have yet to drop that off to her, though, but I will. If you have a great book that, unlike this book, which I'm going to keep, <laughs> um, but if you have a book that you want to pass along, that's kind of a great way to put a little bit of a record mm-hmm. in the front cover of who's all read it. And it's just neat. We put our name, our city and, and the date that we read it. And then it just sort of gets passed along because, you know, the history of a book, mm-hmm. particularly a used book. I've always actually really quite enjoyed it when I ever, whenever I receive a book or read a book that has that people have written in, you know, it happens a lot with poetry books and literature books in general, where people will just write in and to see, you know, what's like, you can see their thoughts. Yeah, well, so. yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's something, I love the smell of a new book. I love the smell of an old book. So yeah. <laughs> there's something to be said about both of those things. So in, I guess, looking at all of these books and, and I guess kind of going back to some, some background information of what brought me to this point is, uh, I realized that I had just a lot of questions that I wanted to answer or or mm. thoughts I needed to reconcile in my own mind around the meaning of life and and you know why we're here and life's purpose and we often talk about that you know finding your life's purpose and and uh, and fulfilling that and and what that means and it came to light to me more recently when we had a, a death in the family and our son Huxley started to ask me lots of questions, mm-hmm. you know, questions around what happens when you die. Right. He's seven years old and asking about, you know, the concepts of heaven and hell and, and what that means. And I realized I didn't have good answers for him. Because I told him to go and ask you. 
because I didn't know. Is that what happened? <laughs> no, I, I, don't. I, I have done that. I am guilty of that, but that in this instance, particular instance, no. But <laughs> well, and I know these are touchy subjects for some people. What do they say? What are the topics? You're, I think it's like religion and politics are two things you should never talk about at the dinner table. Yeah, we're on. A, we're not at a dinner table. We're at our pod, podcast. We're doing our podcast. So. Well, put that yeah. chicken stick down. Yeah, chicken stick is that what they're called? I don't even know what you're talking about here. No. Chicken stick? <laughs> Are we going to have to re-record this? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not at the dinner table. So anyway, uh-huh. yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about religion because I think, you know, I haven't really been vulnerable in our podcast, but I'll be a little bit vulnerable here mm. in talking about this specific topic. And it goes back to, is that mm. rain? That's yeah, rain. If you can it's... hear that in the background, <laughs> it sounds like bubble wrap, but it's actually rain. Well, it's great sound. I hope that the mic is picking it up. But yeah, I love the sound of the rain hitting the windows. Um, Oh, but going back to, I remember being a kid and I was raised Catholic and my parents are strong Catholics and I went to Sunday school and I remember our neighbors were uh, Baptists and they were going to a Baptist Bible camp Mm -hmm. and I'd asked my parents if I could go and, uh, and they were okay with it, I guess, because it's all still along the line of, uh, you know, the same school thought of Christianity. And the, the main reason I wanted to go to the Bible camp was, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I'm laughing now because our, now Charlie is going to hack up a fur ball. <laughs> it's like it's right, rain. So just let it happen. This fur, is live it's, it's raining for whoever's listening. Cats and fur balls. Yeah, cats right. and fur balls. <laughs> And you're trying to talk about something serious. I know. Go to Baptist camp and blah, blah. So I was, I wanted to go to, the reason I wanted to go to the Bible camp was as a kid would want to do was I, my focus was really on horseback riding. Yes, It was one of the few camps around that had horseback riding. So that was my main, you know, incentive. But part of that camp was that you would have to go to chapel every morning and every evening. I forget how long. I feel like it was. 45 minutes or an hour, which mm-hmm. just seems like an eternity when you're a kid. Absolutely. And in the evening chapel session, at the end of it, they would always ask everybody to put their heads down and close their eyes, and they would say, if you have not been saved, please raise your hand. And then they would say, everybody who would raise your hand, please stay behind uh-huh. and, we'll, uh, and we'll talk to you about that. And what they, they wanted you to do was to ask for Jesus, uh, ask Jesus to come into your heart. And, okay. Right? So that was yeah. part of the, that particular religion. And so every, every night I would ask that and they... I would put my, I'd be, have my head down and I would put my hand up and they'd say, you know, Amy, you put your hand up every night. You know, we already told you, you you're okay. You've already asked Jesus to come into your heart. So you're saved. You're going to go to heaven. And, but that wasn't enough for me. I, I thought, but how do you know I mean it? You know, yeah. I'm just a kid. How, if I just say these words, does that make it true? Does that, you know, get me automatically into heaven at the end of my life? even though I've yeah. done this all these years ago. You had and, questions, just like our son did. And so eventually, I think they became frustrated with the many questions I had, or the same question I kept asking over and over again because I wasn't getting a satisfying answer. And they, they said, can we see your Bible? So we all had to have a copy of a Bible. And they wrote in the cover, Amy Bovaird, which is my maiden name, has been saved on this date. And they put the date. Wow. That I, you still you have know, that Bible? Or? I think, yeah, I think it's somewhere. Oh, wow. But to me, that didn't ring 
Right. <laughs> just that they wrote it in a book. Didn't well, really that's exactly it. it. And I think it, for me, it, it didn't. I can see why that wouldn't, you know, really cement the whole idea of being saved. I felt that they were really just trying they're to just appease trying to me. Shut me you up. To, well, they're just trying to shut me up. Yeah, Why let's just put it right. Shut up. Jesus loves you. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want this to be a criticism of any religion because no, absolutely I, not. No. I have the utmost people. respect for, for people's beliefs mm-hmm. and whatever gives them comfort and, uh, and whatever they believe in. You know, that's great, and I'm supportive of that. But me too, absolutely. Personally, for me, it, it it left me with a lot of questions at a very young age. So, you know, eventually I I uh, became no longer a practicing, you know, Catholic or uh, or a Christian, and I just had a lot of questions around, you know, mm-hmm. is there a God and spirituality in general? So, yeah. there's been a quest for for answers to those types of things, and that's what brought me. So, but you've had other books before uh, *Man's Search for Meaning* that have sort of uh, spoken to me, spoken to you, and have have guided you maybe towards this book. Really, I think so. And you know? I think you know, I'm I'm going on and on about this book as being sort of the be all and end all. But I realize that I love that. I I, I remember when you read this book, you you were like you wanted to talk about it. You it really had an effect on you, and you devoured it, right? I did. You devoured it in a day or two. Yes. Uh, yeah. Know? Yeah. I and read it just, and you know, what's interesting is he actually wrote it in only nine days. Yeah. And you, you, like you really, really got a lot out of it and it seemed to like give you a little bit more, uh, of a direction for your existential path. Let's just say that way, you know, like it seems to have really kind of, um, illuminated some of the questions that you've had. So, I, and I, I wanted to do the podcast to talk about some of the highlights of what I enjoyed about the book. And if it's something that, you know, our listeners may be interested in, they might yeah. want to check it out. But if not, maybe just a few of the points that we cover in the podcast may be of interest to them and, you know, yeah. conversation points and absolutely and spur their own, uh, their own questions and conversations with their loved ones about what the meaning is of life. Yeah. Uh, you know, what it means to them. I think one of the things about life is that we're constantly figuring it out, right? And that's part of the joy of and, it. And up until this point, I think when I looked at, you know, the meaning of life and what it meant to me, I would often kind of go back to um, the Dalai Lama has been quoted as saying the meaning of life is to be happy and to make others happy. And Very simple, very direct. Yeah, it's something, I mean, it's, it definitely is part of how I live my life. Mm. I, you know, want to give other people comfort and joy. I love it when I can get people to laugh. Yeah. You know, I tend to be Me too. the person who walks around. I try to smile more often than not and, and make sure I say good morning to strangers and, yeah. and try to, you know, pass that pass that joy along. But then the it begs to, you know, begs the question of if the meaning of life is to be happy, how do we truly become happy? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's almost like when you're trying to will yourself to go to sleep, you you can't. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, right? I understand what you mean by that. Yeah. Happiness has to almost happen organically but you set up the environment to create that happiness and then it and then it comes about Mm -hmm. so what's interesting about this this book so Viktor Frankl was actually a neurologist and a psychologist or sorry psychiatrist uh, from Austria and he was practicing well before the second world war but when uh, world war ii happened he ended up in uh, the concentration camps, actually four different concentration camps wow. over several years. And 
and he lived through it, and he wrote this book in 1946. Two or three um, years after the... Yeah, well, just a year after a year uh, after being released. And as I mentioned, it, t- it took him only nine days to put it down on paper, but I, I suspect he wrote it in his mind over that time frame. Right. You know, he had a lot of time to, to get his thoughts in order of how yeah. he wanted it to go. It was his salvation, right? To, to constantly think about the words for this book. Well, and he talks about having drafted a manuscript, a scientific, you know, manuscript script, the notes of what his book would be prior to going into the camps. And that was one of the things they took from him. Oh, yes. Uh, You know, they really stripped them of everything going into the camps, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, all belongings, all clothing, everything. And they took that from him. And in one of his darkest hours in the camps, when he was, you know, struggling to fight against uh, uh, typhus, Mm He had some scraps of paper where he was able to put down some of the notes of of this manuscript that he had, and then when he finally got out of the camps, he he put he put the whole book together. So, wow. the first half of the book really focuses on his experience in the camps, and the second half then talks about his uh, approach to uh, therapy. Right. And, and how it harkens back to his time in the concentration camp. Yes, and, and, and basically his whole focus on, you know, you know man's search for meaning. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I mean, when he originally wrote the book, he was going to do it anonymously. He was, wasn't going to post it under his name. Right. And then his friends and colleagues encouraged him to, to post it under his name. And, and thankfully he did. And I think it gave the book a certain level of credibility in terms of his medical background of having a background in neurology and psychiatry he was able to reflect when he was in the concentration camps on the experiences he was witnessing and on how you know humans react to those experiences from a a very scientific standpoint so he put together this book you know, with the first half on his experiences, the second half on the therapy, and it became, you know, such a well-known book that it's still among, I think it's Amazon has, you know, the one top 100 books you should read in a lifetime, and it, it's and on it's there. One of them. And, I mean, it's been, it was written, what, 74 years ago. And, and still all of the information still speaks you know, and yeah, has same, the same truth today as it did back then. Yeah, that's that's a testament to his like you know intelligence and, and just like the the experience that he went through was so vibrant that it yeah and it, the book just keeps living right it does and i so you know and it, what's great about the book is it's actually it is quite short it's less than 200 pages so it is an easy mm-hmm. you know a fast read i shouldn't say it's an easy read even though it was written in the 40s um you know, it is, it, it, you know, the vocabulary and the, it, 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 that part reads easily, but I think the thoughts that he puts across are so deep that you'll find yourself reading a paragraph and then just sort of sitting there looking off, looking off into space and contemplating what you just read. So it's very philosophical in a way. Right? It is. And I think one, and spiritual. as soon as I finished reading it, I wanted to begin reading it again. Oh, wow. And I wanted That's... to go back. Like, it's the type of book that you almost want to study because there's so much That's in every line. That's a book. And because of that, I do, you know, in this podcast, it's not an audio, audio book podcast, but I do want to read some of the passages Absolutely. from the yeah, book because it. I think they're just so, you know, so strong. 
So Viktor Frankl actually worked in suicide prevention prior to going into the camps, and he would see as many as 3,000 patients a year. Oh, so he... It's going to be heavy on the head. <laughs> and know. he was, you know, his, uh, his methods were so, were found to be really, really effective in suicide prevention and bringing down the, you know, the, the, the incidents, I guess. Yeah, uh, excellent. In, in his patient population. And one of the quotes that he mentions over and over again is uh, from Nietzsche, who is a, a German philosopher. And yeah. uh, as an aside, <laughs> Nietzsche, which I Nietzsche. had I had to look up how to pronounce because when you look at the word, you know, for I me, I always thought it was Nietzsche. So. I always thought it was Nietzsche too. Yeah. And then there's a whole string on Quora on how to remember Nietzsche. Nietzsche, nice to meet you. I have something to teach you. Nietzsche. It's Nietzsche. <laughs> So That's good. Nietzsche, <laughs> who's a German philosopher, um, it, he quoted that he who has a why to live, uh, he who has a why to live for can mm-hmm. bear almost any how. And I think for somebody going through, you know, particularly a concentration camp experience or any, I mean, I, the concentration camps are probably the closest version to what we consider hell on earth that anyone could even contemplate. And I, I can't even begin to put my head around how people endured what they did. And it just, it makes my heart ache to know that people went through that and to know that there are people who were capable of doing that to other people. And so to have the perspective of a doctor who went through it and to sort of really analyze all this, you know, the psychology around that, the mindset, is, is, to me was very fascinating. And the fact that he keeps going back to that quote around the why to live for, he's really referencing meaning. You know, he, you know if somebody has the meaning... The will to live. The meaning in, of, in, then, to their life, then they can get through whatever life throws at them. And so in the book, I'll just, uh, I'll just read a, a short passage about uh, suicide. And he says he remembers two cases of would-be suicides while he was in the uh, concentration camps that bore a striking similarity to each other. Both men had talked of their intentions to commit suicide. Both used the typical argument they had nothing more to expect from life. In both cases, it was a question of getting them to realize that life was still expecting something from them. Something in the future was expected of them. We found, in fact, that for one, it was his child whom he adored and who was waiting for him in a foreign country. For the other, it was a thing, not a person. This man was a scientist and had written a series of books which still needed to be finished. His work could not be done by anyone else any more than another person could ever take the place of the father in his child's affections. Wow. So this uniqueness and singleness, which distinguishes each individual and gives a meaning to his existence, has a bearing on creative work as much as it does on human love. When the impossibility of replacing a person is realized, it allows the responsibility which a man has for his existence and its continuance to appear in all its magnitude. A man who becomes conscious of the responsibility he bears toward a human being who affectionately waits for him or to an unfinished work will never be able to throw away his life. 
He knows the why for his existence and will be able to bear almost any how. Mm-hmm. So I found that, you know, we... That we, is fascinating. It, you know, in terms of the idea of, uh, of suicide, they said in the concentration camps when people had made up the decision to commit suicide, they weren't to stop them. They allowed them to do that. And there were electrified fences around a lot of the camps, and that would be a common method of suicide. But all they could do is he would try to talk to people when he would, when he would, when he would detect them they were on the point or the verge of suicide and try to change their mindset. Yeah. But once they made the decision to do it, then nobody would interfere with their wishes. Wow. <laughs> That's some heavy stuff, man. I know. This is very heavy. When we think about our podcast about wine. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really <laughs> ready to crack jokes just yet. <laughs> no, um, I know. I know. <laughs> And that's, that's, that's usually my job here, uh, cracking jokes and you do the info. <laughs> but, uh, you know, life isn't all about jokes. Life isn't all about, like, uh, you know, easy, easy living. Sometimes there's some very serious things, questions that we should ask ourselves about life. Absolutely. And, and this book seemed to really uh, illuminate a lot of those questions in your mind. And I, I'm going to read it as well. I mean, if listeners can't help, can't already tell, I have not read this book yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> if listeners can't show. already tell, Jeff didn't know what we were doing the podcast on until two seconds before we hit record button. There you go. You know, but I, I, I'm fascinated by it though that this, this, that this man's mind can. I'm always amazed that anybody can write a book because really, it's it's not only art. Like it's it's not only art. Like it's it's created a certain way that is that is that the person really like put a lot of time in the author put a lot of time in but there's also the 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 ideas behind what's being said and it's and this is chock full of them it seems well yes and i think you know in the passage i just read one of the key key points is is that no no individual you know is uh, like any other mm-hmm. everybody has their own uniqueness in terms of the people that they will touch upon in their lives in terms of what they accomplish in the time frame that they accomplish it, what's going on in the world around them. It's a completely complete set of unique circumstances. So, you know, it, it really does shed upon shed light upon how, how special and unique every, every human life is. I agree. And, you know, for somebody who is contemplating suicide and to, there's always, it's just, you know, help. Exactly. Something help or and, and another way to look at their impact on the world around them. So mm-hmm. there's so much to talk about in this book, and I think it's going to have to be a two-parter. Yeah. Um, just to kind of give some of the highlights of, of where I want want to go with this. Uh, some of the questions I had, particularly around the concentration camps, was you know uh, around how. The The guards, how the SS, uh, you know, how they were able to do that to other human beings. That's something that has always puzzled me. You know, when I've I've read a lot uh, on the history of World War II and and watched movies and uh, Escape from Sobibor. And and it's always, uh, you know, struck a chord with me. How could humans do that to other humans? So as a psychiatrist, Victor Victor Frankl actually does dive into that a little bit. So I'd like to touch a bit on that. he does talk about, you know, what what is the meaning of life, uh, how to, you know, what are the sources of how we can find that meaning, uh, and also around the idea of the fact that we shouldn't always be yearning for our youth. Mm-hmm. 
that there's a reason to envy those who are elderly. And I found that whole idea very comforting. Yeah. I remember... Uh, you remember when, I, when, when we watched that video of the little girl that, was, that the father took the picture of the little girl like every year of her life or whatever? Yes. And it, and it really brought you down. And I was like, why? That's, that's more of a celebration of life. And you said, I wish I could look at it that way. It's sort of the same sort of idea that you just explained. That's a, a really good point. Yeah. So it was a it showed like a, a few seconds of a few seconds, and it and it showed her progressing. I think right, for from, the first thirty or forty years of her she's life, she's like twenty nine or something like that. Like, and it just sh- and it's just her face, and it just shows how her face changes, how her hairstyles changes, and it just goes, you know, it's like a uh, you know fast motion, you know. And I think when we both yeah when we saw that. It did, it for me, immediately caused sadness. I thought, like you know, time is time. fleeting. Yeah. You know, those moments are lost forever. That was where my mind would go when I would see something like that. And, you know, the grasping for that, wanting to keep that present moment. Yeah. And you, and the fact that you saw it as a celebration of life yeah. was very interesting to me. And, it's different and perspectives, right? It is, and I feel like this book has allowed me to get more toward your way of thinking. Oh, well, that's really cool because when you do, when I find, you know, because, because it is sort of the way I think is, is it, you, you celebrate the now more the, like, you know, when you're living your life in the moment, you enjoy it a lot more when you don't see it as a fleeting piece of time that you'll never get back. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I realize I say the word absolutely a lot. So do I. I'm becoming absolutely. quite, quite. I'm absolutely aware of my use of absolutely. Yeah. Um, so if you want to hear more of the audiobook of <laughs> yeah. Man's Search for Meaning as read by Amy McLennan, mm-hmm. uh, part two will record and I, yeah. I will dive a little bit deeper into the content of it because I think it's just such a fascinating book yeah. and his idea, even the therapeutic methods that came out of it, just incredible. So yeah. Uh, I hope you'll join us for part two. Yeah, please do join us for part two, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can catch up on past episodes at infoquench.com. Or just about anywhere else you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And help spread the word about InfoQuench. Till Til next, next time. time.